as we come to God's Word today. I'm very aware that when we open His Word, we need to hear His Spirit speaking to us. Otherwise, all we hear are the words of a man, and you don't want to hear that. So as we come in prayer before the Lord, I want to pray from Ephesians chapter 3. And so pray with me as I pray Paul's prayer for us. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. And so Lord, that is our prayer this morning, that as we come before you now and as we open your word, that you will... Do in us more than we might ask or think. Work through your mighty power in us now. And make your word alive to us. So that we can be faithful ambassadors to you, Jesus Christ. As we leave this place, we give you praise. Amen. As we come in now, study in the book of Hebrews this morning, we're kind of drawing, if you look in your Bible, we're kind of drawing to the end. Um, we're in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 29 this morning. And there will be, there'll be a few more sermons, though, so we're not quite at the end. Um, but I'd like to finish with this series um, by the end of this year. So we can start with something fresh and new again. As we start the new year. But this is so much treasure in this passage. Chapter 12 is kind of the, the pinnacle nearly of the book of Hebrews. The application of the book of Hebrews. And it gives us a big picture of where we've gone from here. And where we're going. And so as we look at this passage... Let's ask the Lord to make these things alive in us so that we'd be strengthened in our walk. Because that's what the whole book's about. To strengthen you in your walk before the Lord. So that you wouldn't look away from Jesus Christ as the source of your power. That you wouldn't be tempted to just live a religious life. Because there's nothing in there. 
So let's read this passage together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 29. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. This is the command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God Himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Therefore, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed, so that only, only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshipping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Now, as you can appreciate, nearly every, every single sentence in this passage is a sermon in itself. But that's not where we're at in this book. But you are going to need to follow in your Bibles because I'm going to be following the text fairly closely as we get to the text. On 22nd of February 2011, at 12.50 p.m., a magnitude 6.3 earthquake struck Christchurch. And I don't know where you were on that day, but I well remember that day. I was standing in my block, in my lounge, and I suddenly saw the telephone poles on the horizon coming towards me moving. I mean, it's not usual. And I could see the roll of the land, seriously. I was looking out the window for some reason. And, and then I could hear this earthquake coming underneath the house. And I could literally hear rocks crunching as it went through. And then the troughs next to the lounge window, I could see them splashing the water. And I knew something big was on us. And then we heard about Christchurch. And so that quake struck at four, four kilometers under the surface. And there were several aftershocks and some even worse than the first one. 
And that follows uh, a major quake of 7.1 on the 4th of September in 2010. And so immediately a Category 3 emergency was declared and extensive damage happened to that city. Infrastructure, buildings, buildings collapsed, burst water mains. Our dear friend Chris Jordan was very much involved in the recovery process of all this. Liquefaction, power outages, port was damaged, roads cracked, 4,500 vehicles stranded in the city center. Schools closed, airport only open for emergencies, disaster. And for several weeks, dust was just hanging over that city. I remember those pictures on TV. Hundred and eighty five deaths, six thousand six hundred and fifty nine major injuries. Just major. God spoke. But have we listened? We're going to come to that in this text today. Things like that happen so that we will hear the voice of God and do a self-evaluation and ask ourselves, am I ready to meet with the Creator God? What's my life like today? Sometimes in our lives, major things happen too, and the very ground on which we live is ripped away from underneath of us. But the Bible says that God deals with that realm of the physical, but He also deals with the realm of the spiritual. And we are to walk and live lives before Him which glorify His name. We are to be ready for when He speaks again. So let's see what God's going to do. The writer to the Hebrews uses imagery today of two mountains. He speaks about Mount Sinai on the one hand and Mount Zion on the other hand. It's a picture of two mountains today. And they set up in strong contrast to each other. The one mountain is, describes the Old Testament Mount Sinai where the people gathered before the mountain and God gave them His law. The other mountain is Mount Zion, where the city of God is, Jerusalem. It's not a physical mountain, it's a spiritual mountain that God is readying His city on, the one we will be living in for all eternity. But we need to be asking ourselves, in the practical application of my life every day, in front of which mountain am I living? You see, if I'm living in front of Mount Zion, I'll be trying to follow rules. And there'll be a lot of religious life, and I'll be trying to live a good life before God, but in my own strength. And there'll be a lot of guilt involved. But if I'm living in front of the other mountain, there's grace. And God gives forgiveness. And I know my sins have been forgiven. And there's a lot of freedom in front of that mountain. So let's look at these two mountains this morning as we look at the text. And I'm in verses 18 to 21, and you really need to follow along if you want to see where we're going this morning. He says in verse 18, you have not come to a physical mountain, 
to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, he said, it must be stoned to death. And Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. You see, what he's talking about here is the old covenant life before God. Mount Sinai. Remember, if you go back to Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 9, it describes those events where the Israelites were camped in front of Mount Sinai and God gave them His commands. And He didn't just give them uh, His commands on pieces of paper and hand them out to each of you as they do today or send them out on their email. He gathered them in front of a physical mountain. It was a physical process. There was this gloomy, dark mountain in front of them and they saw flaming fire and there was darkness and gloom and there was a whirlwind. It was dramatic. And God gave them His commands from that mountain. The picture of God, there was a terrifying picture. The mountain shook. There was a trumpet blast. They heard God's voice. And then they got these commands which were unbelievable. If anyone just touched the mountain, they were to be stoned. And it was so terrifying that even Moses, their leader, was terrified. And he stated that. And so that's the picture. It was do or die. I've given you commands. I want you to keep them. But know this, you will fail. It's harsh. And it was meant to keep them at a distance from God. Do not approach this mountain unless you come through my servant Moses. God was setting him up for another reality which would come, which would be in stark contrast to that unapproachable picture. He says, you're not coming in front of that mountain anymore. Why is he saying that? You see, these believers that he's writing the book of Hebrews to, they were being tempted to go back to this old covenant picture, this mountain with Moses, their leader, instead of looking to Jesus Christ. They were wanting to go back to the fear and the failure. They were wanting to go back to religion instead of a life before Jesus Christ. They were wanting to go back to the do this or die model. And he says, no, what you've got is so much better. And this whole book has been leading up to this. So there's a whole lot of stuff to summarize, which I can't now. And so I've got to stick with the text here. He says, no, you haven't come to that mountain, verse 22. You've come to Mount Zion. Don't go back to that old stuff. Don't go back to the Old Testament laws and regulations. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And then he, he gives them this picture of all these things which are part of this new covenant of grace. Why would you go back to the fear, to the fear of failure? He says, just come to Mount Zion. 
Come to the, the place where you just need to believe and you will receive grace. You see the difference between the two? The one was do this or die. The new covenant is, Mount Zion says, believe my son Jesus Christ and what he says and you will receive grace. You will receive everything you need to live a life that you need to live before me. In other words, this mountain was saying to them, draw near to me and I will give. It wasn't trying to keep them away from God's presence, but it's saying you have come to Mount Zion. What are they coming to? And you and I need to grasp this picture because if you can grasp this picture in your mind's eye today, it will really help you in your walk before the Lord. What are we coming to? Look at verse 22. See this in your mind's eye. You've come to Mount Zion to what? To the city of the living God. This is not God on a mountain giving them a command. The same God, different picture now. That was just a shadow. The reality and the light is this, that God has created this city and it's His city. It's the city of the living God. It's called the heavenly Jerusalem. That's the kingdom that you and I are part of now as we live in 2022. It's the one we're aiming at. When Jesus returns, that's where we'll be going. To heaven. And I hope you look forward to the city. It's the city of the living God. It's not built by human hands. Built by God Himself. And He's preparing it. And He's taken a few thousand years to prepare it already. And we're going to be there with Him forever. It's the city of the living God. What else does He say, verse 22? And also, look at the picture now. You've come to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. I love that, pic, that, that the words he uses there. You've come to countless thousands of worshipping angels. Now, we sang about myriads and myriads of people singing God's praises. Well, joining the myriads and myriads of people singing God's praises, we're going to have countless thousands of angels in festive joy, is the literal translation worshiping angels why because now they understand what god is doing just imagine the decibel level in heaven one day just imagine the multicolor vision we're going to be seeing in all its color and splendor countless thousands of worshiping angels worshiping who worshiping god is saying holy Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. And we're going to not be able to help ourselves. We'll be joining them, these myriads and myriads of people. And we'll be saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Imagine. It's a bit different to gathering in front of a mountain with shadows and trumpets and thunder and lightning. What else are we going to see in this new Jerusalem? Verse 23. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. If you belong to Jesus Christ, I'll put that better. If Jesus Christ has saved you, then your name is written up in heaven. No one can take it out of those books. 
of the Lamb of God. Your name is written up there. You will be there. And even though you're struggling in your walk now, your name is written up there. You are secure in Christ. You are one of His. And you will be there together with that gathering. The literal word there is our translation, the church gathered. The gathering means the church. Those who are gathered together as who? As God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. Take courage as you struggle with your daily walk every day. What else have we got there? You have come to, this should have been first in the text, but I'm not writing this, God did. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. Think of that. In the new Jerusalem, when we gather there, we will be gathering before the judge himself, the creator of the whole universe. I don't know what that's going to be like. I know my nose is going to be very close to the surface. Because my eyes, as Job said, are going to see my creator with my own eyes. The creator of the whole universe. God himself. And in that knowledge of this is God, I'm also going to know this is God, the one I stand before as judge. The judge over all things. You see, there's going to be awe there. No longer that Old Testament terror, but awe. I think of a good definition of awe is terror mixed with holiness. Because I am going to be terrified, but in a very good way. Because God is not a tame God. He's almighty, all-powerful, so much greater than we are. And when we see him with our own eyes, then only are we going to realize how great he is. We're going to stand before God himself, the judge of all things. Very different to standing in front of a cold mountain, isn't it? Let's carry on. Verse 23, he says, You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You see, these New Testamental believers were really struggling with their everyday lives. Why? They were coming under persecution from those around them who were saying to them, you wanted to go and become a believer. Now you are no longer part of our Jewish society. So you've no longer got an income. You've no longer got an economy. You're going to have to find food yourself. We are not going to look after us. You are dead to us. They were struggling. But you see, he reminds them, the writer to the Hebrews reminds them that there's so much more waiting for them because now they will be joining those who are the now perfected righteous ones in heaven. That's amazing. You might struggle with your everyday life and I might struggle with my everyday life. But I know that one day in heaven there's going to be no more struggle. We are going to be made perfect before Him. Yes? You won't have to think, when, Lord, am I going to stop falling for all these temptations? You're going to be made perfect. And it's not just you. Look around you. Believers, we'll all be made perfect. And we're going to be joining those who've come through the Old Testament history 
and those who will come after us once we are dead and gone, if the Lord hasn't come yet, who will also be in heaven with us, who've been saved by grace, who are the now perfected righteous ones, the ones who've been made right with God. Is that a good picture? I'm not hearing any enthusiasm yet. All right, let's carry on. Verse 24. This must do it for you. You've come to Jesus. Come on, Baptist. The ultimate one, you've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. You've come to Jesus Christ himself, the one who loved you so much that he left heaven, came to this earth, and died for you and I. He died in my place. And then he rose again from the dead and he gave me new life with him. And then he went ahead and he sat at the Father's right hand where he is now mediating for us. And he's multitasking. He's preparing heaven for us. Jesus himself, and as Job said once again, my Redeemer I will see with my own eyes. I'm going to see Jesus. What else do we see in Mount Zion? We see his sprinkled blood. That's what we come to. You see, in the Old Testament, the blood was taken and sprinkled on the mercy seat of the ark. And that's where God met man. But here in the new Zion, we will, see, we will come to the sprinkled blood of him. That's what the literal translation says. The sprinkled blood of him. Who? Jesus Christ. And that blood is very different. It speaks of forgiveness. Unlike the Old Testament blood which spoke of judgment, this blood speaks of forgiveness in Christ. Abel's blood in the Old Testament, and what, that's what he's referring to, it cried out to God from the ground. And it cried out for judgment. But this blood of Jesus, the sprinkled blood, speaks of forgiveness. And we're going to be covered by that blood. And we are covered by that blood in the new Jerusalem. And so the question is, why would you go back to the old? Do you see the contrast now? There's so much more under this new covenant life of grace at Mount Zion in the new Jerusalem. And so we get to the application questions, verses 25 to the end. He says, so how then do we live before God? If we know all this, how should we live? Why is that important? It's important for this reason. And I'm, I know this is not a unique experience. Have you ever heard that voice that says to you, Hey Calvin, you've stuffed up again. You keep trying, my bro, but you keep going wrong, and you keep doing it. You're hopeless, really. Why push on? Is that God's voice? No. Whose voice is that? Satan. Who's Satan? He's the accuser. Even before God's presence, Satan tried to accuse Job. Why would he give up now with you and I? 
He's the one who would discourage us. He's the one who would pull us off track. And he's the one that we need to remind, no, Jesus Christ is the triumphant Savior. He's triumphant over you, Satan, and he's given me a life of grace to live that is waiting for me, but I've got that energy and the grace that I need to use now already in Christ. Get behind me, Satan. I am part of something bigger. I am part of an unshakable kingdom, Satan. And so I might sin, but God forgives. And He forgives. And He forgives because Jesus Christ loves me. So how then should we live when we hear that little voice whispering in our ear? This is how we should live. Verse 25. He says, be careful then that you do not refuse to listen to the one who's speaking. Why? For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. You see what he's saying in this text? He's saying to us, don't refuse God when he speaks to you. How do you you know when you're refusing God? Well, you've turned away because you're not listening. God speaks and we turn our backs. God prompts in your heart and you turn away. Don't refuse him, says this text. Because look what happened to the people of Israel under the time of Moses. They didn't listen to Moses. They didn't listen to God. What happened? Many died. How much more, he says, when Jesus Christ, the living one, speaks to you, should you not not listen? Listen to him. He's giving you a message. What is his message to you? He's saying, previously God said that He would shake the the earth, and he did. What happened at Mount Sinai? God shook that mountain till the dust was all around it. There were earthquakes, flashes of lightning. God moved. But God has made a new promise. He said, I'm going to shake again, not just the, the earth this time, but I'm going to shake the earth and the heavens. And this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. What's he doing here? He's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from a prophecy by Haggai. Haggai chapter 2 verse 6 to 9 is where we'll read about it. And I just want to remind you of what that prophecy says. Listen to this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Yahweh is his name, the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace, I... The Lord of heaven's armies have spoken. And yes, in Israel's history, the temple was restored, but there was more being pointed to. The Lord is pointing to the future too. And in the era we live in now, and he's saying, I will restore my temple. All nations will look at me and acknowledge me. And so the Lord says, I'm going to shake the heavens 
and the earth. And anything that is not rooted in Christ will fall away. You see, what is the world chasing? The world is chasing stuff made of carbon. Maybe you and I are chasing that stuff too much as well. And we've forgotten that God has said and He's promised that when He shakes the heavens and the earth, only what's in Christ will remain. What's important in life then? The spiritual. Only what's in Christ will remain. Tell me, my friend, what are you holding on to? What is your dearest treasure? Is it something that's in Christ? Or is it something made of carbon? So that's the message God says. He says, I'm going to shake again. And believe me, Christchurch earthquakes could be nothing in comparison. He's promised that he's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. That's how big the shaking is going to be. And everything will be burnt. And he will recreate. Nothing can stand through that. And so he says, in light of all this, he says, how else are we to live before God? He's saying, be thankful. Let us thankfully obtain grace. Where does he say that? Verse 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshipping Him with holy fear and awe. Now, let us be thankful. The original there is, let us thank Him through the grace we receive. You can't thank God if you haven't received grace. You can't thank God if you're not thanking Him through grace that enables you. It's all about His grace to us. Why is that important? Because of the last verse there. For our God is a devouring fire. You see, if you are not living in grace, if you're not living by grace, if you're not thanking Him through grace, fire will devour it. Why? Because it's unholy. Our God is a devouring God. He's a devouring fire. This is the holy and awesome and majestic God that we serve. And so you can't just come before Him as you are. You can't just live before Him as you are. You've got to live a holy life before Him as He enables you to. Because if you try and do it in your own strength, guess what? You're worshipping in front of the wrong mountain. You're back at Mount Sinai. And so the challenge for me this week has been to really examine my life. And I want to, to urge you to do the same. Really examine your life. In front of which mountain am I living my daily walk every day of the week? Am I just trying to keep rules and keep God happy? Am I trying to stay guilt-free? Or am I living in front of the mountain which has been shown to us over here, which is glorious in its picture. And I do it through the grace which God gives me every day. And that means that, yes, when I do sin, and I sin often, I come before the Lord and say, Lord, you've already paid for the sin of mine. 
Lord, forgive me, I'm so weak. But Lord, thank you that I know that Jesus Christ is so strong and that you've forgiven that sin already. I'm already right with you. I stand before your throne of grace. My name is written up in your heavenly book. I know where I'm going. Lord, help me now in my weakness. Forgive me so that I can try the next step without sinning. And I know what's going to happen. And as I carry on through life, holiness in us develops and we start living lives which are more grace-enabled until we are made perfect. Don't give up before the perfect process is over. In Christ. And without Him, I can do nothing. And so when I think of the past, I rejoice. When I think of the present, I interact with God and I ask for forgiveness and I receive grace. When I think of the future, I know I can stand firm. Why? Because it's God's city that he's building and it's an unshakable future that he's got ahead for me. I want to end with God's words this morning in application. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is such a good application of this passage. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 to 15. Listen to what it says. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. It doesn't finish there. So the Lord hasn't come yet. Why? Because He's patient. He wants everyone to repent. So don't see that as slowness on His side. But then it carries on. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. That Christchurch Christ earthquake happened... Without warning. God's coming again will be without warning. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Why? Because our God is a refining fire, and God will shake the earth and the heavens. What's the application? Verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. I love that. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. In other words, live before Mount Zion. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. If you are here this morning and you still have not given your heart to Jesus Christ, 
Jesus Christ hasn't come yet because he's waiting for you to bow the knee to him. He's patient. But his patience will end. And then he will come. Come to Jesus and be saved. Let's pray. Lord, as we reflect on a passage like this, the only prayer from us can be, Lord, help me to live a life which is less filled with guilt and more filled with thankfulness. Help me to, instead of feeling guilty over the times I sinned before you, Rather, just to fall on my knees and to receive the grace and the forgiveness that's available there for me. Rather than give Satan the time of day, we would rather just put our eyes on Jesus Christ and know that you are there for us, that you are the one who's already in the heavens. But through your spirit, you're with us. And that we can live lives which glorify you, even on this earth. And when we show that dependency on you, Lord, when we show that grace in action, that's when the world takes note. The world sees us with our stumblings, but they see people who are forgiven by you. And who can live with joy and thankfulness in their lives despite our circumstances. Because our eyes on, are fixed on that unshakable kingdom which you are preparing for us. Thank you God for all your goodness. Help us now to live lives worthy of you. Living in front of Mount Zion where the glorified God is in the new Jerusalem. Help us, we pray. Amen.